Young adults, what's going on? You guys doing good? Hey, can you give me a little bit of life tonight? I know that it's freezing cold outside. It's nights like this, days like this, where I'm like, why do I live in Denver? I mean, besides it's awesome and it's beautiful in the mountains and it's a cool city and all that stuff, like it's freaking freezing. So shake it off, warm yourself up, engage, because I believe that God has a word for you tonight. And I believe that as you press in, God meets you. The Bible says that when you seek God with all of your heart, not just part of your heart, not your Thursday night, just got off work, traffic sucked, it's cold outside heart, but all of your heart, you find him. And when you find him, you find life. And you find everything you've been looking for. And things you never thought you needed, you find in him. And so, hey, tonight, is it anybody's first time? I think Andrew asked, but first time. We got a first timer right here. All right, all we want from you is all your money and to drink this drink as you leave. No, I'm kidding. I'm joking. <laughs> Well, welcome. Hey, I know that there might be a lot of you in here might not be brave enough to raise your hand. Um, and I'm not naive enough to think that all of us might be on the same page when it comes to faith and the person of Jesus. But I want to let you know that you're welcome here no matter what you believe. Um, but I'm going to be upfront with you and say this, that I passionately and radically believe that Jesus is God and that he's transformed my life and changed my life. And so I'm going to speak to you from that perspective. And so tonight, my only request of you is if you come in with a different perspective, maybe just relax, let your guard down for a minute, and just maybe consider, maybe for the first time, the words that I'm saying that Jesus is good, that he loves you, and he's got a plan for your life. I promise you that if you meet with Jesus, if you encounter Jesus, you will be radically and forever changed. And so you guys can take your seats. We've been in a series for the past three weeks called Follow Me. And in the past three weeks, or this is week three, I guess, um, the first week we talked about repentance. We talked about um, what it looks like to change your mind and to agree with what God says is good and right and true. And as Christians, how um, we're called to do that. And week two, Whitney talked about repentance um, and how, or not repentance, she talked about perseverance and how God always buys back what the enemy stole from you. Amen? And that even in times where it feels like you've got to persevere, um, that God is always with you. And so tonight we're going to open our Bible to Mark chapter 2, and we're going to pray. I think I gave the band a false cue. I feel a little naked up here without the keys behind me. So <laughs> if I'm sweating a little more, that's why. Um, no, but Mark chapter 2, we're going to continue our conversation about following Jesus. Um, and we're going to dive in Mark chapter 2, verse 13. Anybody old school, bring that leather Bible, that well-worn Bible. I see you. And a Bass Pro hat. You got it. You got it, man. That's all you need, a leather Bible and a Bass Pro hat, and you're, you're good to go. Uh, Mark chapter 2, it'll be up on the screen. It says this. It says, Jesus went out to walk near the Lake of Galilee, and a massive crowd gathered. So he taught them. And as he walked along, he found Levi, which we commonly know as Matthew. And he says this, uh, Matthew, he's the son of Alphaeus. He was sitting in a tax booth collecting taxes because he was a tax collector. And uh, Jesus approached him and said, hey, come follow me. And immediately he got up from his booth and began to follow Jesus. Later, Jesus and his disciples went to have a meal 
with Levi. Among them, the guests of Levi's home, were many tax collectors and notable sinners. you got to be a bad sinner if you're a notable sinner. You're not just a sinner. You're a notable sinner. Come on. Anybody a notable sinner? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) we got extra prayer for you in the back afterwards. So... (laughs) But Jesus went to share a meal with them, for there are many kinds of people who followed Jesus. The title of my message tonight is this, Crowds and Followers. Crowds and Followers. Can we pray and we'll dive in? Jesus, we love you so much. It's such an honor to be gathered in this room, uh, to meet with you, to learn from you, to hear the ways of your teachings and to say yes and follow you and align with you and agree with you. Jesus, you're our authority. Your word is our authority. And so, God, I pray right now that we would gain revelation, not just a good idea, not just a quick thought, not just something, I don't know, that sparks in us, but a revelation of who you are and what you want from us tonight. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. And everybody said, amen, Amen, and the keys exit. (laughs) Just kidding. Okay. All right. (laughs) That really threw me off. I don't know why. But anybody in this room... See the movie, Remember the Titans. Anybody see Remember the Titans? Man, one of the best movies ever. I Remember the Titans came out when I was like in that phase as a kid where you like buy a movie and watch it over and over and over and over again and you for some somehow like never get bored of it. If I watch a movie now more than once, I'm like, oh my gosh, I hate this. So no, but Remember the Titans, it's fire. And uh, I grew up in Virginia. And I actually lived about an hour away from T.C. Williams High School where all this took place. It was one of the first integrated schools where black and white people came together um, in high school. And so, I mean, watch the movie. It's, it's incredible. But all the trials and tribulations. And so actually, the last time I took uh, my wife home, we went out to D.C. It's a little closer to D.C. and Alexandria. And we uh, drove past it. And it used to be this old school, like really old school high school, like like old brick and all that and ever since the movie came out they get a little proceeds from the movie and now it is like a juggernaut school it is like gigantic huge insane but remember the titans there's a line in the in the beginning of the movie remember the titans by a little blonde girl named cheryl i can't remember who plays her but she's pretty famous now but she says something like this and i was practicing i was going to try to do my cheryl like country i I can't now now i feel too much pressure (laughs) But there's a line that says this. It says, in Virginia, in Virginia, high school. (laughs) I don't know. I can't be like a seven-year-old girl. I don't know how to do that. It says, says, in Virginia, high school football is a way of life. It is bigger than Christmas Day. And growing up in Virginia, can I attest, that statement is 100% true. On Friday nights in Virginia, an entire town shuts down to go watch a high school football game. Now my high school, we were pretty good and we had a really big stadium. And on a Friday night, literally my entire town would shut down and go to the stadium to watch my school play football. And there were thousands, and I'm not exaggerating, literally thousands of people could sit in the bleachers and would fill it up. Every game would sell out. Every game would sell out. But not only the bleachers, 
there were these hills that we had that were kind of just there for like look and ambiance and stuff. But thousands of people would bring blankets that couldn't fit in the, in the bleachers. And they would like spread out their blankets and sit on the hills. And then if you couldn't get on the hills, you would just be pressed up like a sardine from like the gate that separates the crowd from the, from the actual field. So you'd be like standing the whole game. And if you couldn't buy a ticket because they sold out, there were people that would literally put lawn chairs out because it's Virginia, still a little, you know, like lawn chairs are a thing in Virginia. Um, but they'd put their lawn chairs out around the gate that surrounded the actual stadium and they would sit in their lawn chairs with binoculars and watch the game with like little radios. And if you couldn't get a good view of that, I'm not lying, people would in our parking lot, um, they would like camp out do little tailgates, or there's a park even across the street from our school where people would go with their cars and they would listen to the game and barbecue and whatever, like throw bean bags or corn bags or whatever. Like this thing would sell out because football in Virginia was a big, big deal. Like I remember one of the first times there's a really big stadium on Kipling, like right before. Uh, sixth and I was like oh what high school plays there and my wife's like that's like a communal field that all the different high schools share like that would never even cross people's mind to share a field with the enemy like fields were a big deal like there was so much pride like taken in your stadium and your football field and growing up in Virginia there is no place you would rather be on a Friday night than Sharando High School football stadium it was magic just to be a part of the crowd. And historically, my school has been very, very good at football. And when I was in fourth and fifth grade, so somewhere around that time, we were like the elite of good. Like state championships almost every year, players who went professional, um, people that have played in Super Bowls before, like out of this small, well, not really small, but like this high school up in Northern Virginia, it just pumped out the athletes. And so Friday night was electric. Everybody wanted to press in and be a part of the crowd and see what was going on with our team. Now, during the time of our school's like, you know, highlight years, my dad was an offensive coordinator on the team. He was a coach. And so, because I was his son, I was in like fourth grade, I had the privilege and honor of my life to be the Sharando High School football ball boy. Give it up for the ball boy. I was the ball boy, and I had ball boy swag like you could not believe. It was amazing, and this is how I played it, because all my friends were jealous, and it was so cool. We literally would go, and we'd all pile up in, in the minivan, you know, like our friend's mom would take us, or my mom would, whatever, pile in the minivan, and we would go out, and we would walk up on the hill behind the bleachers. I'm kidding. Don't ever go behind the bleachers at a high school football game. You might see some things you can never unsee back there, but <laughs> people are like, what? I, we share stadiums here. What are you talking about? <laughs> but my friends would go, we're in like fourth grade, and we would like, I don't know, do what fourth graders do. Like, I don't know if you scope out girls, like say hi to your friends, be like, look at all the big kids walking by, you know? Like, we just did what fourth graders do. But then there'd be a moment where this drum would start to beat. And the lights would turn up. And no lie, we had like pyrotechnics and stuff like that. And like the players would like run out on the field. And that was my cue to look for my dad to get the signal. And I'd be up with my friends and I'd be like, hey guys, sorry, but you know what I am? 
I'm the ball boy, baby. And I would like run down and like hop the fence and there'd be a security guy that's like, excuse me, son, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, you must not know. Check out the badge, ball boy, official, right here. But it was so cool. And like, I got to like help the quarterback warm up, which I'm sure he's like, I hate it when this kid shows up and tries to throw the football with me. But one of my big jobs, and I don't know why my friends were so jealous of this, I would catch the field goals that were kicked now, Virginia is not Denver, but it can still get cold. And a football in like close to freezing weather is like a boulder falling out of the sky. But I couldn't drop a kick or my friends would all make fun of me for the week. So they would like kick a field goal and I'd like be standing back there and be like, oh God, come on, and like catch it and feel like I'm like walking back like, yeah, I caught that. And there's like a giant Wilson bruise on my chest the next day. But, but I was the ball boy, man. And I got to hang around people that would become professional athletes and teams that would battle for state titles. It was amazing. There was something that was just magical about my fourth grade self getting to be a part of the crowd and then leave the crowd behind, wave to my friends, those sorry just observers of the game, and step out on the field and participate in some very minuscule way. And as funny as being a ball boy might sound, I think that most of us in this room are a little bit familiar with that feeling, right? That feeling when God calls you to step out from a crowd and step onto the field, where you feel God calling you to step out of a season, maybe a relationship, maybe a job, maybe a state, maybe a city, and he's calling you to step out and to make a move and to leave the crowd, to leave the safety, to leave the comfort, comfort and step out on the field. I want to jump back into our story real quick because there's something that stuck out to me as I've been reading and studying lately. And interestingly enough, I honestly think this is a word not just for my life in this season. I feel like this is just something that God has like tattooed on my soul. Um, and I think this is something that God is calling us to as a group of young adults who gather here um, and, and go try to push God's kingdom forward. Mark chapter 2, we're going to go back real quick. It says this. Jesus went out on a walk near the lake, lake Galilee, and a massive crowd gathered. So he taught them. And as he walked along, he found Levi, or Matthew, we're going to call him Matthew because that's what he's more commonly known as, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth collecting taxes. He approached him and said, come, follow me. And immediately Matthew got up from the booth and began to follow Jesus. Over the past couple weeks, I've been reading through the Gospels a lot. And I don't know why, I just felt like God was like, hey, I want you to spend a bunch of time reading through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so for the past like two or three weeks, I try to get like, you know, an hour, two, three, and I know you're like, oh my gosh, how do you read that much? It's part of my job, so don't feel like guilty. But, but I've been reading through the Gospels like a ton. And I think a couple weeks ago when I talked about repentance, I told you that my phrase for the year was this, follow me. And as I'm reading through the Gospels, I felt like I'm just amazed at all the times that Jesus invites people to follow him. But one thing that I, that I kind of saw around the pictures of every time Jesus invites somebody to follow him, it was something that stuck out to me, and I've been highlighting it ever since, and I don't know why, but, but it's this, that very often Jesus was constantly surrounded by a crowd. Jesus could rarely go anywhere without being surrounded by a crowd. And not just like a small crowd, like a large crowd, like thousands and thousands of people kind of crowd. 
And so I just started noticing, like, and Jesus was here, and there's a crowd. And Jesus was here, and there was a crowd. And he went here, and a crowd came. And he went there, and a crowd came. And so I started doing a little bit of digging, and I found that the word crowd or crowds is used 52 times in the four Gospels alone in specific reference to Jesus. That 52 different times, the Bible says that Jesus went somewhere and a crowd gathered around him. I think it's pretty clear that the writers of the gospel wanted us to know that crowds of people loved being around Jesus. People loved Jesus. They were fascinated by him. They were fascinated about what he would say. They were fascinated by the things that he could do. They they were enthralled with Jesus. And so anywhere this man went, large crowds would gather around him. Crowds loved Jesus. Now, I don't know if you're Reformed or Calvinist, so this might hurt your feelings, but it seems like Jesus loved people too. Jesus loved crowds. That's a theology joke. If you're a Calvinist in here, I'm, I'm kidding. So, But not only did crowds love Jesus, Jesus loved crowds. It says this, it specifically said Jesus will look out on crowds, and it says he loved them. It would say that Jesus would have compassion on crowds. Jesus preached to crowds. His, he healed people in crowds. He ate with people in crowds. Jesus performed miracles in crowds. And if you really think about it, some of the biggest miracles and some of the greatest teachings Jesus ever gave that were recorded in history were in the context of not just hundreds of people, but thousands of people. Think about this. Sermon on the Mount. One of the biggest, one of the best messages Jesus ever gave, one of, one of the ones he is most famous for, Sermon on the Mount, given to a crowd of roughly 5,000 plus people, large crowd, multiplying of loaves and fishes. We know that at minimum 4,000 people were there because it said 4,000 men and women and children. So let's just roughly say 6,000 people gathered around Jesus to hear him talk and see a miracle. Paralyzed man, lowered through the roof of a building. Why was he lowered through the roof? Because there were so many people around Jesus, there was no other way to get to him. Woman with the issue of blood, reached out and touched Jesus' garment, but she had to fight her way through a crowd to get to Jesus. Crowds loved Jesus, and Jesus loves crowds. But as I was reading through the Gospels, I noticed something that really stuck out to me. And it really kind of convicted me and amazed me as I was kind of reading through this. Jesus loved crowds. He preaches to crowds. He heals crowds, does miracles in crowds. But Jesus never called for crowds. Jesus called for followers. Jesus never once, in what I've read, called or asked for a crowd. But he would often find people and ask for followers. I think it's so easy for us as people to get comfortable when we are in a relationship with Jesus. There's something about our human nature that loves crowds. Maybe if you're, if you're claustrophobic, you don't love crowds, but, but there's, there's this sense of safety and security within a crowd, right? There's a sense of uh, anonymity. You can, you can kind of be around something but re- remain anonymous around a crowd. There's something with a crowd where you feel like you're a part of the majority, right? Like you feel like you're kind of going the right way. There's something about a crowd that makes you feel like you're a part of something. Have any of you guys ever been to an NBA game, like a live NBA game? 
I had the privilege of going to the game where Russell Westbrook in Denver set the triple-double season record. And I was like two or three seats back. Not because I'm rich, because I had a rich friend that took me. Um, But I was literally from like me to you, from Russell Westbrook, as he's like setting this record. And I know it's in Denver. I'm a Nuggets fan. I cheer for the Nuggets. But there's just something. Go Nuggets. One person who loves Nuggets. Chicken Nuggets, Denver Nuggets, any Nugget. Like, go Nuggets. Um, But... But uh, I'm so close to Russell Westbrook, and he's setting this, like, season record that no one thought could ever be broken. He recorded an astronomical amount of triple-doubles that year. And even though we're in Denver, even though, like, we're all Nuggets fans, there's something in that arena that just cheers for, like, a moment like that. Like this record setting, like historical moment. And I remember like him being right there, getting the triple double, the the game stopped for a minute. He like waved to everybody. Everybody's going nuts and cheering. But here's the thing. It's not enough just to get the record. You kind of want to win the game that you get the record on, right? And so there is like 10 seconds left. The uh, Thunder were down is when Russ was still in the Thunder. And uh, he gets the ball. He's bringing it up and and time is counting down. And like I said, it's like a weird moment because we're all Nuggets fans. We're from Denver, but everybody's just like cheering for Russ this game. Like, and so he brings the ball up past half court, launches this shot as the buzz, buzzer goes. Everybody like stands to their feet. They're like, oh my gosh, is this going to go in? And he sinks the shot to win the game as the buzzer runs out. And me and my friend, we are going bananas. We are going nuts. We're like, we just witnessed history. Like, I, did he just look at us? Like, I think, I think he like pointed to us. It was like, that was for you guys, you know? Like, but we were just going like nuts. We were just like, oh my gosh, can you believe this happened? Like the energy, like our cheering, we felt like we were a part of the game. But in reality... My voice, my cheering had absolutely nothing to do with Russell Westbrook breaking that record. Me just being a spectator of the game had nothing to do with him hitting the game-winning shot. And I think here is the problem that we face and the problem that we see with being a part of a crowd. There are moments where you feel like you are a part of something spectacular. When you sit back and realize that you are only an observer of that thing, there is such, there there is this thing about a crowd that makes you feel like you are a part of something special when in actuality you can be so close to it, but only be an observer of that thing from a distance. I want to go back to the story of Matthew a little bit, or Levi as Mark calls him, but I said we're going to call him Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector, Matt in the city of Capernaum. Now, I've been to Capernaum. I was lucky enough to get to go to Israel, and Capernaum is awesome. It was my favorite place. If I ever got to go back to Israel, there's just something so special about it. I got to stand in the synagogue where Jesus would teach. It was unreal. But Capernaum was a place where Matthew was from. He would collect taxes in Capernaum, but Jesus often went to Capernaum. And he he performed a bunch of his miracles and a ton of his teaching was done in the little city of Capernaum right on the Sea of Galilee. Think about this. Woman with the issue of blood, really famous story, healed in Capernaum. Uh, When Jesus did his very first miracle at a wedding, turned water into wine in Capernaum. 
the guy lowered to the roof that we talked about earlier, he was healed in Capernaum. Now, Matthew wasn't a follower of Jesus at this moment, and most scholars would say that Matthew might not have known Jesus personally, but he would have been very familiar with who Jesus was. Anytime Jesus came into town, Matthew would have been like, oh, that's that guy that teaches and does these insane miracles. And so we don't have any documented evidence that Matthew would have had a relationship with Jesus. But as I was reading and studying, most scholars would say it's not out of the realm of possibility that Matthew would have been in the crowd to hear and witness some of these things. Matthew would have potentially been around Jesus as he's healing this man that's going through a roof. And I can just imagine him sitting at his booth because he would collect taxes as people would come into the city. And he's like, oh, that's that. I think that's that Jesus guy. And side note, and this is just kind of random, he collected a lot of taxes on fish and a lot of people that followed Jesus were fishermen. And so they thought that Matthew might have had like beef with like Peter and John and those kind of guys because like you stole money from us. (laughs) I don't know, random theology fact, there you go. But Matthew would like sit in the city and be like, oh my gosh, that's that Jesus guy. I've heard some of his stuff. What is he he doing over there? Why, Why are so many people gathered around him? What is he... Is he, what's he talking about? Oh my gosh, did that person just stand up? I know that. That person has never been able to walk before. Am I seeing this correctly? Did Jesus just do that to that guy? Like Matthew would have been in the crowd and have heard things that Jesus had said and potentially witnessed some things that Jesus had done. But there was one day where Jesus is walking by the lake And he sees Matthew sitting at his booth. And he extends an invitation to Matthew that I believe he is extending to you and to me right now in this moment. He looks at Matthew and he says, Matthew, will you follow me? Matthew, are you done just hearing about me from afar? Matthew, are you done just witnessing some of the things that I can do? Matthew, are you willing to let go of everything that you have right now And come be my disciple and follow after me. Now in this moment, Matthew has a choice. And he actually has a pretty big choice because the call to follow Jesus isn't just a call to kind of believe in him and do your own thing. The call to follow Jesus is to give up everything for him. And so Matthew is faced with a pretty big decision. He could just stay in the crowd because the crowd is all he knew. The crowd, he could be anonymous. And the crowd, he has no accountability to the person of Jesus. He can be around Jesus and then leave with no accountability. If Matthew stays in the crowd, he can go do his Jesus thing when he wants, get a little bit of Jesus, and then go back to his old life that he's comfortable with and that he's familiar with. If Matthew stays in the crowd, it wouldn't cost him anything. But if he accepts the invitation to follow, if he accepts the invitation to step out of the crowd and follow Jesus, things in his life would dramatically change. Things in his life, he'd have to leave his job. And listen, he was in some shady business. Tax collectors in those days were crooks, but he was rich. He had a lot of money. And if he accepted the invitation to follow Jesus, who knows where his money would come from? Who knows what would happen to his rent or his mortgage? Who knows where his next meal would come from? If he accepted the invitation to Jesus to follow Jesus, he would have to leave his job. He'd probably have to end some relationships. Not, don't, 
don't you remember as we were reading, it was like they were saying like they're not just sinners. They were like big time sinners. Like I'm sure he had some unhealthy relationships that if he followed Jesus, he would have to step away from. Jesus' invitation to Matthew to follow him was nothing light. If he accepted this moment, everything in his life would be different. Do you remember the story of the rich young ruler that we talked about a couple weeks ago? The rich young ruler is this guy, he has a ton of money. He runs up to Jesus and he's like, Jesus, there is something different about you. You are, there is just something amazing. And he calls him good teacher. And he asks Jesus, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus starts listing all these things. And he's like, Jesus, I've done it. I've got it. I've got it nailed down. I'm good. And Jesus goes, one thing that you lack, sell everything you have. Give up everything for me. Give it away and go follow after me. The call of Jesus is to give up everything and agree with his ways, his teachings, and his words. And for this man, this rich young ruler, it was too much. And instead he walked away sad, not following Jesus because he had a lot. And so Matthew in this moment is faced with the same dilemma. If he follows Jesus, he has to give up everything and nothing in his life will ever be the same. Because here's why, from a crowd, you can know a lot about Jesus from a safe distance. But if you follow, it may, young adult, and it might cost you everything you have, but you won't know about Jesus. You will know Jesus and you will know life and you will know peace and you will know healing and you will know purpose, and you will know what you're calling. If you leave everything to follow after Jesus, you get all of Jesus. Ben, you guys can make your way on up. But I find that this tension is oftentimes where I find myself. I find that this tension of being safe, feeling comfortable, feeling good in a crowd, and then accepting the call of Jesus to come out and experience more, is this tension that I always find myself, because aren't we all, we're so tempted to love Jesus from a distance. We're so tempted to appreciate Jesus at an arm's length where it feels safe. You know, kind of like, man, I love my situation in life right now. I go to church on Sundays. I'll come to young adults on Thursdays, but then on Fridays and Saturdays, I go out with my friends, drink a little bit, you know, maybe find a cute little thing at the bar, hook up a little bit, slide into somebody's DMs, you know, like, I love my situation right now. I got my Jesus thing right here, and I got my life right over here, and I just, I'm doing my Jesus things at my pace, at my distance. I feel good. I feel comfortable. I feel safe. But don't you remember, Jesus has never invited you to be a part of a crowd that witnesses what he does. Jesus' only invitation that we find in the gospel is to follow after him. And I think there's a big deception. I think there's a big deception about a crowd, and the enemy loves to get us in this deception. It's this. You can spend your entire life being around the things of Jesus. Man, you can be in this room. And listen, I'm not saying this because I'm shaking a finger. I'm saying this because this was the majority of my life. Spending Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, Bible studies, whatever, in rooms where I witnessed things about Jesus. I saw miracles. I, I was a part of prayers. I was around the things of Jesus. I spent my life seeing the things of Jesus, but I never experienced them for myself.
And young adult, you can spend your entire life in rooms like this witnessing and seeing the things of Jesus, but never experiencing true life change unless you accept the invitation to follow. Listen, Matthew didn't get a new life because he stayed in a crowd. Matthew didn't get a new life because he witnessed a miracle. Matthew didn't receive a new life because he saw a healing. He didn't get a new life because he heard a good teaching. Matthew's life was absolutely transformed, not in the crowd. Matthew gained a new life when he became a follower. Matthew gained a new life when he became a follower. Imagine what would have happened if Jesus invites Matthew to follow him and he says, no, Jesus, I'm good. I'm good. That miracle, though, wow. I don't know how you do it, but I love it. I'll be at the next one. Text me. Let me know. Jesus, you're awesome. Love that teaching. I'm going to listen to it again. You said some things that really got my wheels spinning. Like, Jesus, I love it. But wait, you follow you. I mean, I'm at my booth. Like, this is what I do. Jesus, like, you want me to leave this and follow you? Oh, Jesus, no, I'm, I'm good. But I'll be at your next miracle. I'll be at the next teaching. The next time you're in the synagogue, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be there. I'll shout you down. But I don't know if I can leave everything right now to follow you. If Matthew would have made the decision to remain in the crowd, he would forever be known as Matthew the tax collector. But he said yes. Matthew said yes. He said, Jesus, I I mean, I got my thing right here and it's really important to me. It's like who I am. Jesus, I got got this life. I have friends. Like, Jesus, like, I've got a job. Like, what am I going to do? You want me to follow you? Like, I'm going to have to give up everything. I might have to give up my, my sexuality, the way I handle my finances. I might have to give up my, my preference, the way that I think, the way I believe about some things. I might have to give up, I might have to be challenged on some things in my life. Like, Jesus, I, I, gotta, I gotta leave this behind to follow you. I don't know, man. It seems hard, but, but Jesus, I will. I'll follow you. And it says he got up immediately left everything and followed him. And in that moment, Matthew, the tax collector, became Matthew, the disciple. Matthew, the follower. Matthew, the apostle of Jesus. Matthew, the tax collector, would have sat in Capernaum and collected taxes until the day he died. But Matthew, the apostle, Matthew, the follower, would invite Jesus into his home so that sinners and tax collectors could hear the good news about grace and realize that God is not far or distant, but God is close to the brokenhearted. God meets you in the middle of your mess. Matthew, the follower, would have Jesus in his home for dinner. Matthew, the disciple. Matthew, the follower, would witness the death, burial, and resurrection of the king of the universe and proclaim it to the world. Matthew, the disciple, Matthew, the follower, oh, he would be in the upper room in Acts. 
when for the very first time, God decided to pour out the Holy Spirit on his followers and tongues of fire would rest on Matthew's head and he would speak the good news of God in languages he did not know. That's not Matthew the tax collector. That's Matthew the follower of Jesus. Matthew the follower would go on to document the teachings and the encounters and the miracles that he witnessed as he walked alongside of Jesus that we read to today, that we still have in our hands. Matthew, the follower, would write the book of Matthew that we still read today. I'm so thankful that Matthew decided to say yes and follow after Jesus. Matthew, the follower, would give his life as an evangelist in his waking years, spreading the good news about Jesus to Jerusalem and Italy and Ethiopia. Man, follow me. Turned a tax collector into an apostle. One yes, one day sitting at his job on a beach, transformed Matthew's life. So what about you, young adult? Would you stand? What story is God waiting to write in your life when you say yes to stepping out of the crowd and following Jesus? What story awaits for you if you leave your comfort zone, you leave everything you know behind and accept the invitation to follow after Jesus with everything that you have? What would your life look like if you became unsettled just being a part of the crowd having this be a part of your routine. But you said yes to stepping forward and following the one true God, Jesus Christ. Listen, I believe that there's a lot of you that have been in this room for a while. And there's a lot of you who have been, you know Jesus, you come to church, you know the Bible, you've read Matthew. But when you close your eyes and you examine your life, there's this small, still voice of the Holy Spirit that whispers to your soul, follow me. Follow me, follow me, let that go and follow me. Let that go and follow me. Would you give everything for me? Would you follow me? Would you not just be satisfied with being in the crowd, but would you pick up and follow me? Would you leave behind anything that's holding you back and would you follow me? Would you close your eyes for a minute? I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. Eyes closed, head bowed. I just believe in this moment that there are both non-believers, non people that have never followed Jesus before in their life, and then there are Christians that are in this room that have been sitting on the sidelines, comfortable with where they're at. And I believe that you're gonna hear just two simple words as I pray. You're gonna hear the voice of Jesus, the invitation of the Holy Spirit to step out of where you are, to leave the crowd, and to come follow God. If tonight, as I've been speaking, if you've been hearing the voice of God just beckon you to come and follow him, would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Listen to the invitation of Jesus to take that step of faith, to seize that moment, to imagine the life, the story that God can write through you when you step out of your comfort zone and into the call that he has for you. Come follow me. Come follow me. Can we pray, Jesus, we love you so much. What an honor and a privilege it is to not just know you, to not just witness you, to not just hear about you or learn about you, but to follow you. 
Jesus, it's an honor to follow you. So I pray for every single person in this room who raised their hand. For the first time, God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just infiltrate their heart. Would you just let them know your love, your peace, your mercy, your kindness, your grace, your salvation. And for those of us who have been sitting on the sideline playing it safe, like Matthew, could we hear the call of your voice to follow you and leave anything that held us back and say, yes, Jesus, I'm yours. Yes, Jesus, I'll follow. Wherever you lead, wherever you guide, I'm yours, Jesus. I will follow you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. I love you guys.